Let's just pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your presence tonight. Lord, it's wonderful that we can gather together, the saints, Lord, chosen by you. Lord, in the deep cries unto deep. Lord, it wasn't of our own making, it was what you put in us, Lord, and that's what cries out tonight, Lord. It looks heavenwards, not our flesh, Lord, but your spirit in us. Father, we pray for your anointing to be in our midst now, Lord. And help me now as I come and bring your word, Lord. You know how nervous I feel. And I just pray, Father God, you would help me with it. Lord, help every heart to be ready to hear. And Lord, make me a blessing to them. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. God bless you, saints. Nice to see you all again. Gathered together. Well, Graham did offer a double bill. So I think it might be a double bill. I know I told you to take it down. But um, I'm going to talk about Hezekiah. I had something in my mind I really wanted to preach and it was something that had been quite exercised about but when I started reading the story about Hezekiah the Lord guided me in a slightly different direction uh, which always worries me because I'm never sure about it then so uh, we're just going to talk about Hezekiah tonight and find out a little bit about him the first thing that I want to tell you about is a little bit of background about Hezekiah so I'm going to read uh, 2 Kings 18.5 uh, just that one scripture, because it sums up Hezekiah fantastically well. It really highlights uh, just who he was uh, and how important he actually is to God. Uh, and there's not many people get a commendation quite like this. So Second Kings 18.5, as far as I remember, this is NIV. Um, it just says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him. Among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So, this man was the best king of Judah. Now remember, at that time, Judah was separate. So the nation was split after King David's rule. And there was many kings came and went. And we know that a lot of them failed drastically to follow the Lord. But this one king, Hezekiah, was the absolute best. And the reason for that was what he'd done. It was his actions. So he rededicated the temple. The people had gone away from God completely. They'd gone after other gods. And here comes this man back. And he just his father was a complete horror. So he didn't even have a, a nice Christian background. He had no place to do this other than the Lord inspired him. And he came and he rededicated the temple. He held the Passover. He hadn't held the Passover for years. He re-established the priesthood to work in the temple. And he removed all the high places. So he went round and went, all these places you've been worshipping. I know you like them. I know you think it's really handy. Because you don't have to go into Jerusalem. I know you think it's really great that you can just go out your back garden and walk up a hill and worship God. He took it all away. And he also broke, and this struck me as quite amazing, he broke the bronze snake. That God had told Moses. Remember in, in the desert. And God came amongst them with serpents. And they all cried out. Moses cried out. And God told them to make a bronze serpent. And put it up high. And anyone that looked in the serpent would revive. They still had that. And they were worshipping it. Human nature eh. God did a remarkable thing. And, they, and saves the people. And what did they do? Did we worship God? Well we take the serpent. And we go away and they've got that. And they're worshipping that serpent as well. And he smashes that. He broke it into pieces. 
And he'd done away with all that false worship. So this man just went straight back to the word. And for that, God highly commended him. What he didn't do, right? And this is important as well, because it's where the mind of God is. He didn't decide to free all the slaves. He didn't set up LGBT rights. He didn't go after equal pay. He wasn't the king that made sure everybody in the nation was paid well. He wasn't the king that put an end to poverty. That doesn't say Hezekiah emptied the coffers and went into the temple, took all the money and got rid of poverty. He never done that. He didn't do anything like that. He didn't set up women priests and go, well, hang on. Got all guys in there and maybe we should have a wee bit of women working in the temple as well. He didn't do that. He didn't bring better sanitation. He didn't set up health and safety. He didn't build any hospitals or any roads. Now these are the things that the world looks at. We're in a world that causes them are bombarded with politics and this one wants to build a hospital, that one's going And that's all they think about. God's not interested in any of it. God's not interested. We're interested in poverty, we should help the poor. But all these other things that surround it, God's not interested. God just wants us to be back with the word. And then that's what we pray. We pray the nation gets back around the word. Because the rest of it's peripheral. You get a Christmas tree, even if you get a live Christmas tree, and you think I'll decorate it, it's only decorations. And that's without its roots, without the roots of the tree in the right place. Whatever you do is a waste of time. You've got to be rooted in God as a nation. So Hezekiah brought the nation back to God, and he was commended as the best ever king of Judah. Yeah? So he was a fantastic person that loved the Lord and knew the Lord and, and spent his whole life serving God. Now, in those times, people that served God got blessed. That was the thing. If the nation served the Lord, the nation got blessed. Yeah? If the nation fell away from God, the nation got cursed. And that curse was usually the enemy rushing in and taking them away, destroying their cities. It was usually quite black and white. And here's what happened to the, the nice man, the best king. In 2 Kings 18.13, it says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, sorry, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So here's a man who's not only not done nothing wrong, but he's actually gone out his way to put the kingdom on a right footing with God. If I were his high, I'd be going, great, that's us. But the Bible says we'll have peace, we'll have all these good things, the Lord will bless us, he'll give us plentiful food, we won't go without, we'll expand the nation. We're established, we're back in God, maybe the, the kingdom will come together again. We're in a great place. He's just done that, he's just put everything right. And bang, out of the blue, here it comes. The enemy comes in and captures these cities. Now it was a real shock to Hezekiah. A real shock. Obviously he knew how the history worked. And his first thought might have been, and I say might have because I'm not him. What have we done wrong? So in verse 14 it says, So Hezekiah king of Judah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I've done nothing wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay you whatever you demand of me. So there he goes right away. He's not acting with a spiritual mind. 
The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, the king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord. He emptied the temple of the Lord. And in the treasuries of the royal palace, he emptied everything he had, all the silver he had. And that time Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold which he had covered the doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. So here's a man, personally cousin knew the Lord. And what was his first reaction? Let's just piss this guy off. Let's, let's just make this problem go away. We'll take money, that's fine. Anything to the point he got so panicky, he went into the temple and he's stripping the gold off the doors. That's God temple. That's the man that established that temple, re-established it. And he gets such a fright when this army came sweeping into his country and took over all the cities. His first reaction was just, ah, what am I do? Now you know it didn't say he sought counsel with anyone. He didn't go and ask people what should I do. He didn't, he didn't think, well, maybe if I pray, I oh, he just went, right, okay, the bodies are here. Uh, if I just, it's like getting mugged, isn't it? Just take my money, don't hurt me. <laughs> just take all the gold from the temple, uh, all the money from don't hurt us, just go away. He tried to buy him off, but what's interesting is that bullies can't be bought off because it didn't work. It just didn't work. So, in verse 17, the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander. So it's the top guy, his supreme commander. So it's not the king himself, because the king would might go out to battle, but on this occasion he sent his top guy, his supreme commander, his chief officer, another top guy, and his field commander with a large army. So here's the king of Assyria, he's sending the A team. He's not sending his B team. He's sending just a few of the lads. He's sending his top people with an army from Lachish, which is one of the cities they attacked, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And it says, came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. And they called for the king and Elikim, the son of Hilkah, the palace administrator, Sebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to them. So here we are in the midst of a battle. This fellow's just come rushing in, taking all the cities, and the king's tried to make a trade with him. Look, go on back to Assyria. Just whatever you want, we'll do it. Here's some money. Maybe we can talk later. Maybe we'll do something else, but just go. And the Assyrians, what do they say? They see weakness. They see he's ready to bend. He's ready to give in. How easy was that? We get money out of him right away. That's a mugger. I'm just going to steal your money. Here's your phone. Oh, okay. Here's my phone. Don't hit me. And he knows he's got weakness there. He knows he's spotted something. So he doesn't give up. He sends the army down to Jerusalem. Now this is important and this is, um, this, this is just the background to what I'm going to say. So Jerusalem then was the seat of political power. It was the seat of God's power as well. It was God's holy city. It was the seat of the temple. And in that temple was the holiest of holies. Jerusalem was vital to God. Which is why when the high places went up and the people went away from Jerusalem, God wasn't happy. God built his whole 
idea of worship around being in Jerusalem. It was vital. Now, we don't do that today. We don't all trip off to Jerusalem. Obviously not, we're Christians. We're Jerusalem. We're spiritual Jerusalem. This little body of people here and Christians all around the world, we are Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that. We are Jerusalem. And God puts his seat of power and his kingdom in us. So he's not got buildings and stuff. He's not interested in that. God doesn't care how big your church building is. I've said that before. He's interested in us. Sandy's Jerusalem. I'm Jerusalem. We're all Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit isn't in the temple now. It rent. It's in us. Yeah. So this to me, when I saw it, when I saw it, my Bible actually says, Sennacherib threatens Jerusalem. Right? That's the title. The Bible has wee titles in it. And I thought, you know what? That's the devil attacking the church. And it just made me realise, I thought, and I read it through and I thought, I can see clearly, clearly how the devil attacks us. Clearly illustrated just exactly how he comes in and attacks. So tonight what I'm actually going to talk about, now I'm giving you a little bit of background, is how the devil attacks us as a church. And next time I'm going to tell you how to beat him. So you have to spend a week defeated. Right, and come back really grim next week and feeling terrible so you can oh thank goodness now I know right I'm going to just go through some of the devil tactics okay so the first thing now there's 12 of them so Stanley this morning only had 5 things and he was quite happy with that amateur I've got 12 right try and get through them all that was a wonderful preaching this morning by the way what a nice man of God what a lovely saint that's been in the field a long time and you could tell just by what he was saying this morning it was tremendous so back to this the first thing how the devil attacks the saints okay and it's important to know how the enemy attacks you it's important to know the tactics of the enemy if you don't know the tactics of the enemy when he attacks you don't realise you've been attacked and you don't know what to do you just things are happening and you're unaware of what's all this going on important to discern when the enemy is attacking so you can fight back so the first thing he does okay, the first thing he done for Hezekiah was create a clear and present danger okay, it was a real circumstances that Hezekiah found him in this guy turned up in an army captured half his cities and then turned up at the capital it wasn't a wee thing in his head this was a real thing that happened and the devil attacks us with real things. He attacks us with wellness. He attacks us with finance problems, family problems, problems with neighbours, problems at work, problems with elderly parents, problems with teachers, you name it. Problems with teenage children. It's real things. When the devil turns up at your door, he's got a list that long. He's got an army of things to attack you with. Yeah? And he can easily point to them. If you were Hezekiah and you were the people standing in that wall, these guys that went out, they weren't looking at nothing. They were looking at, I don't know, 185,000 men. That's a lot of people. Chariots, bowmen, you name it. This Assyrian army was the most powerful in the world. So when he stood and looked over, they went, oh. (laughs) The Judean army wouldn't have been anywhere near that. And given that half the cities had already been defeated, they've already lost half their army. 
Because the way it worked in those days was every man that could hold a spear or a sword was in the army. Which is why in the Bible when you see big, big numbers of army, you know, hundreds, thousands, us thousands, forty thousand, it's because everyone went out to fight. They didn't have a standing army the way we have, it's 80,000 guys and they're trained. They just went, oh, everybody's got a sword, we go out and fight. So, the king of Assyria had already wiped out half their army. And they're standing surrounded, watching this huge army of problems, wondering what to do. So the devil likes to come with a whole pile of stuff at us. As much as he can possibly find it is. And modern life's like that. We're just rushed off our feet. There's just so many different things, so many different problems. Sometimes you just sit and go, I talk about all these things and there's so much in it. They just, it never stops. There's always another and another and another. Everything you think, I'll get out of the way. Ah, that's good. I'll get another one. So the devil turns up with real problems. And the important thing is that that affects an emotional response. The same as it did with Hezekiah. That first response is often not a spiritual one. It's that punch. He's come in, something's happened. Your kid's broken their arm, your elderly parents has been taken into hospital, his kids get a trouble at school, he's come home in tears. Whatever it is, you've lost your job. Boom. And that first thing is, what am I going to do? And you get afraid. Anybody that doesn't get afraid when these things happen doesn't the human. Because that's what's in us. Natural. <gasps> oh, what's happened? And you're looking at it, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? The devil likes to get that emotional response. He likes to make us afraid, make us worried, and make us feel oh, totally overwhelmed. That army was overwhelming. It was nothing small. These men were just human beings standing on a wall looking at an army huge, going, can he do that? Can he do that? Don't know what I'm going to do here. The other thing the devil does that's important is he can create the illusion of danger. So he can come with real problems, but he can also stir your mind up to think that there's problems out there that aren't actually problems. He can make you feel down, he can get you just feeling heavy and oh, I don't know why, but just things don't feel right. He can make you feel afraid of situations, people at school or at work, I wonder what they're thinking about me, I wonder what's going to happen there. And he attacks you in the mind, and I've spoken about that before. So that's the first thing. The devil comes with an army. He brings a pile of stuff to get at you. The second important thing is that the devil really likes to preach to you. The devil likes to tell you his story. Yeah? He's a master at it. The devil's a fantastic storyteller. And it says here... In verse 19 it says, The field commander, this top guy, said to them, Tell Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. Here's my story. I'm not coming to talk to you and negotiate. I'm coming to tell you what's going to happen to you. I'm in charge here. I'm telling you what's going to happen. You see my boys, here's my army. We're telling you. You're listening by the way. You're getting told. And the devil's like that, he's a bully. He likes to come in and tell you, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen. He tells you how to feel. Oh, you should be afraid now. You should be worried. You should be concerned about that. Oh, if I were you, I'd go and make, start thinking about that and making plans. And Oh, here you, be, you really better take a grip on that. And why does the devil like to preach? Why? 
Jesus says my words are spirit and they are life that's true isn't it so the Bible says my words are spirit and they are life you think of the devil's words are they spirit of course they are he's a spirit where is he I can't see him so his words are spirit and they are death the devil comes to kill and steal and destroy and you're his enemy Jerusalem's his enemy you're, you're the centre of God's kingdom you're God's gems you're his temple you're all these things do you think he's not standing with an army waiting to overthrow you and he does that with words up here he comes with words the Bible also says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word so when the devil comes with his words he wants you to believe him and undermine your faith in God so he comes with words and he tells you how you feel he surrounds us with anti-scriptural ideas he surrounds us with ideas that are against the Lord and against what God wants for us so a number of different voices can be the voice of our own experience oh I remember that happened and that boss see I've had lots of trouble with bosses right don't ask me about that I'll be here all night Right? But they've not always been the nicest people to me. And when I get a new boss, I just go, oh no, what's going to happen? It's quite hard to have faith. The voice of experience. Yeah? Or you've seen something happen in the past with your parents or whatever it is that's going on, and you go, this doesn't look good. That's negative thinking. That's the enemy just coming in there with these thoughts, putting you in the wrong track. Get the voices of family and friends, colleagues, and dare I even say brethren, people that should be encouraging you, people that should be lifting you up. Sister, God's going to do a good thing for you. Brother, God's going to do a good thing, and they're not saying that. <laughs> Ach, well, you're just, just like that because that's the way you are. What a shame. That's the way it's going to be. Tough. Job's helpers. You've read Job. We know how much his friends encouraged them not at all unfortunately even the brethren can be like that but we're surrounded by people that want to give us negative words surrounded by them and that's the enemy we're also surrounded by advertising, social media government propaganda everything and even doctrines of the devil the bible talks about that so you're not even safe sometimes you get into a church you don't know if you're getting the truth you know, it was really difficult for us, we came out of the church we were in, to come here. It was really difficult to go, hang on, are we going to be safe here? Because we just didn't know what to expect. Are they lined up with the Bible? Do they believe the word? Because I've been to churches where you go, do they believe the word? <laughs> do they bother about it at all? So when the enemy comes, he comes with words. He likes to preach to you. Now be careful what you're listening to then. This boy's standing here, ready to tell them how it's going to happen. That's, that's what he does with you. And the other thing he does, this is number three, so I've only got three, so nine left after this. He turns up in spirit, he comes in person, or he sends one of his emissaries. Now, do you believe in spirits? Do you believe there's a whole spiritual world out there? You can nod your head or something like that, because then I might know you do. <laughs> right? Otherwise I'm thinking, God, I don't know what they believe. The devil brings a spirit. When he brings his word, he actually brings, there can be a, an evil spirit comes with that. And that affects your emotions. 
So if you feel down and there's no reason, or you start panicking or start worrying, and that gets deep in, that's a spirit affecting you. And I know there's spirits, that when the Bible talks about spirit heaviness, anybody ever felt heavy? Just can't be bothered with this, I'm so down. But there's a deepness of it. It's not just that, oh, it's Monday morning, I feel heavy every Monday morning. It's more than that. A blackness, a heaviness. That's an evil spirit. That's not from God. When does God make you feel heavy? The Bible says put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So we know how to overcome that. You get a spirit of fear. How do I know that? Because the Bible says God's not given me one. The Lord has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So if you feel afraid, and this is important for a young ones, see if you're watching a horror movie and you feel afraid, do you know why it is? It's because it's an evil spirit. There's a spiritual effect that comes with that movie. So be careful. When the hairs in the back of your neck prick up, <laughs> that's not just human thing, that's just not your body reacting to a picture. That's something deeper than that. But when we feel fear, when we start to panic, what Hezekiah done when he emptied his pockets, well, everybody else's pockets, that's a spirit, that's something that comes on you, that stops you thinking logically, that stops you going to God, that stops you turning to the Word, that stops you praying. It makes you do things that, oh, oh, I better do something quickly. Oh no, what am I going to do? Fear. That's the reaction the devil wants. He wants to take you away from the Lord's way and take you away from God's plan. You get lying spirits. You know that? The Bible talks about a lying spirit that God sent. God sent a lying spirit onto the prophets so that they would prophesy to make the king go up and fight a battle, Ahab go up and fight a battle that they would lose, because God wanted rid of him so even when you think, oh these people are prophets, these are wonderful people and there's 400 of them and they're all prophesying be careful be careful what you listen to, be careful what you're hearing and how do you know, how, how do you be careful you line it up with the word you line it up with the word Spirits of infirmity, seducing spirits, spirits of false doctrines. That was just me proving those spirits. So when the devil comes and he attacks you, trust me, he does more than just speak to you. There's a spirit there. There's something that affects you. It affects your emotions. It affects the way you behave. And I said it to somebody the other day, but see when you're talking to people and they stop being logical. You might be talking about doctrine, you might be talking about something that works. And all of a sudden, logic just leaps out the window and runs away, and you can watch it going down the road. That's when there's a spiritual side. That's when you know you're dealing with something that isn't just human. It can be something that's deeply personal to somebody, so they've got a spiritual and emotional attachment to it. And if it's doctrinal, it can just be there's a spirit involved. And that person just can't get past the way they feel. So, the devil comes, attacks with an army, attacks with words, attacks with spirit. And this is what he does. Verse 19. This is what this fella says, this commander. He says, And what are you basing this confidence of yours? So he's at the wall, and they're all standing, and he shouts up, Boys, why are you so confident? What makes you so confident? Hey, why do you think you're going to win? What makes you so confident? Why are you walking about as a Christian with a big stupid grin? Happy all the time? 
What makes you so confident? And they're sitting, I'll keep my army here. How do you know you're going to win? Why are you so confident? Does God really like you? Does he? Do you think he's going to actually do anything for you? Standing up there on the wall, and I've got 185,000 guys here. Come on. Why are you so confident? He opens the door to doubt. He makes you question. Why are you so confident? You go, actually, why are we so confident? <laughs> does, does, is God really going to get me out of this? Hang on a minute. 185. I don't know anymore. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. So he comes in and he tries to question our understanding of God. And he questions deep because he questions you and says, does God really like you? Does he love you? Will he really help you? Will he get you another job? Will he help your kids at school? Will he make you well? Will he heal you? Is that going to really happen? You believe that? Devil's clever. Now we just, these things happen every day to us. Especially in crisis situations. We just put it down to, oh these are just things that happen. No, 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 no. That's the devil. That's the enemy's way of working against you. He's loosening the bolts of your faith. He's going around with his spanner. You think you're confident? Show me a scripture where God done that. Show me something in your life where God done that. Do you really believe? You really think you're confident? He likes to drain our faith and just put in doubt. And it happens without us even realising. I don't think there'll be a person here that's never experienced that. Where we just go, hang on, is God really going to do this for me? I know I've been here before and I've been in spa. I don't know that God's going to help me. I'm just, I wish I was sure. I wish I was sure, but I just don't know. He's loosening the bolts of your faith. The truth is, God does love you. <laughs> he doesn't want you to know that. Of course he doesn't. If you knew how much God loved you, faith would be easy. Faith would be remarkably easy. And the devil doesn't like that. So, that's an important one. He attacks our confidence. It's one of the first things he does. How do you know God's going to help you? you know, he then, the next thing he does in verse 20, it says, You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. So he's looking up at the wall and he's shouting, Boys, you think you've got the counsel for war? You think you can win? But I'm telling you, your words are empty. He's attacking their confession. So you're confessing healing. You're confessing that the Lord's good. You're confessing that the Lord's going to sort your situation. You're confessing good things. You're doing what you know you need to do. I'm building myself up in the faith. I'm confessing that God's a good God. I'm confessing he's going to help me. I'm confessing he loves me. I'm confessing he's going to get me through it. And the devil's going, ha ha ha, you're whistling in the graveyard. You've got no foundation. Look at you up there in your stupid wee city. 185,000 of us standing here. Give it a break, boys. You're whistling in the graveyard. Your words are empty. And do you know what? There's no use you standing up there and going round and going, Oh, Graham, you know, we're all doing well, we're all great. There's no use you trying to encourage each other. Because it will only work because your words are empty. It's all bluster. And he's just coming in. And he's loosening the bolts of your faith. And who's ever felt that? 
you're confessing and you're, oh Lord, I'm really believing. And there's a wee voice going, no, 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 that's no right. That's no right. You're just whistling in the graveyard, Tony. You're just, you're just kidding yourself on. Your faith, you're kidding yourself on. Don't be daft. That's the devil. That's how he does it. That's how he done it here. That's how he done it. That's how he attacked Jerusalem. So watch for these things. I'm showing you the tactics. I know it's a bit negative, but sometimes you just got to see. This is how the enemy actually works. These are the thoughts that when we get them, we need to stop and go, hang on, whoa, this isn't right. But we need to identify them first. So here he's telling them, you say that you've got the counsel and might for war, but you're speaking empty words. See that boy that preached last week? Empty words. <laughs> you want to listen to him for? Empty words. What does he know? Undermining the word of God. Undermining God's work in your life. The next thing he does, undermine your plans. He then says, so he says, you see that you've got the counsel of war and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending? Questioning, again. Does that mean you think, who am I depending on? On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? The devil, you think you can beat me? Whom are you depending to rebel against me? Look, I know that you're dependent in Egypt. That splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. <laughs> Such is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. You think you've got plans to get yourself out of this? You think you've got a way out? You're leaning on a staff. It's a good picture of that. That when you lean on it, it will splinter. And it'll just stick into your hand. You've gone to the Egyptians for help. Who do you think they are? Do you think they're going to help you? Don't be daft. The devil knows your plans. That's quite frightening. This boy knew exactly what their plans were. He knew they'd run off to Egypt. Oh, aye. They're Egypt. Go and, just go and tell them Egypt's useless. You run to the doctor. You're away to the doctor. You've run to the social work. You've run to a counsellor. You've run whatever. You've gone to your friends. You've run away to other Christians. You're wasting your time. Your friends can't help you. Nobody can help you. Because I'm the devil and I'm here. And I'm going to win. It's true. Because he's trying to make you feel hopeless. He's trying to implant despair. He's trying to separate you from others' help. Oh, they can't help. So there's no point in talking to them. They can't help. Why would I even try? It's just, you start to feel lonely. And you start to feel despair. We've all felt like that. Maybe you have, not I have. I've felt that like nobody can help me. I've felt, just what's going to happen? That's the devil. You don't need to feel like that. That's the devil. That's what he wants you to feel like. Yeah? So he creates hopelessness, helplessness, and he isolates you. He says basically, see these clever plans that you've got? And we all make plans, when things go wrong, we do make plans. We do think, well, if I do this, this, this and this, it'll maybe help. I'll talk to the teacher, I'll go to the doctor, I'll, I'll talk to the guy at work that's upsetting me, I'll, I'll do X, Y and Z, it'll help. The devil's going, no, that will help. Don't waste your time. He's trying to paralyse you. Ultimately, the devil just wants you to give up. He just wants you to give up. Stop. Not do anything. Not try, not go to God, not try anything. So, the next thing. Okay, verse 22. But if you say to me, 
Right? This is him shouting up to me. But if you say to me, we're dependent on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must only worship before this altar in Jerusalem. He's no daft. He knew that the people didn't like the high places getting knocked down. So he's in there. You had to be high places and all that, didn't you? You had to crack and be religion going, it's really good. And you were worshipping God and you were all happy, weren't you? Aye. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? A stafty Hezekiah came round and knocked them all down, took away your snake, all that stuff. Told you you weren't allowed to do it. And now look what's happened. You should have stayed worshipping God the way you were worshipping. Because when you stop that, here's the Assyrian army, here we are. <coughs> We've got you. So don't think God's going to help you. Because you've changed what you were doing. You shouldn't have changed. You shouldn't have listened to Hezekiah. You shouldn't have gone back to the temple. You shouldn't have reinstated the priest. You shouldn't have done any of these things. What are you holding the Passover for? Where did they get you? Following God. Where did they get you? Pfft, nowhere. We're here. What are you going to do now? So there's the devil attacking the way you worship. There's the devil attacking your step towards God. There's the devil undermining. Am I doing the right thing here? It was really nice before. And I've changed it. Hezekiah, I've, I've gone back to the word. And now I've done that. And here's this big attacking army. Why follow God? Just brings trouble. See that wee snake? Go and dig it out of the bin. <laughs> Glue it back together again. You'll be fine. No. You see where he's going? You see him attacking the absolute foundation of everything that's going on here? It's complex. It's cunning. Because the devil's cunning. And he's using all different things. It's not just one thing. If it was that simple to deal with, he'd just come up and boo. Oh, tell you one. No. He's trying every single angle he can here to, to upset the people in Jerusalem. They overflow And that's what he does with you. So, He's trying to separate them from their source of help. Number eight. Verse 23. He says, Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Right? So he's wanting a bit of compromise. Just compromise. Just give up. Just a wee bit of compromise. He says, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're dependent on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? This is the way I, I took this right. I could be wrong. Okay. But what he's actually saying is, look, see, see you lot. See, even if I gave you 2,000 horses, you're still knackered. There's no way out. Even if I gave you what you needed to fight me, you're knackered. You're finished. Give up. He's laughing at them. You're so rubbish that you can't even put... You don't even, if I give you 10,000 horses, have you even got men to put on them? Do you really think you've got any hope at all? Grinding it down. Just grinding, grinding, grinding. Taking away every single possibility of help. That is depressing, isn't it? It's not nice, but that's what it does. Eight. Number nine. This is... Very interesting. Number verse 25. 
right? He says, furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without words from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Do you know what? You're in a mess because God told me to come and sort you out. I'm here because God told me to do it. And you go, oh my goodness, he's got God on his side. This is God's will. All these bad things that happened to me, this is God's will. This big army of problems, this is God's will. God sent it to destroy, to overcome. He said, no, no, you're finished. You've obviously upset God so much at some point. Maybe the high places, it'll be vague. The devil will not point it. It'll just make you go, what have I done? Why is God so angry that all this is happening? And, and this army of things has come against me. What have I done? God sent me. You're suffering because God wants you to suffer. That's a lie. And I hate that lie. That's a lie. You know? This, this is your fault. This is your fault. God's told me to come and destroy you. Well, God doesn't want to destroy any Christian. Do you know what? Just give up, folks. Don't try and fight. If it's God's will, if it's God's will that you're sick, it's God's will that you're in a mess, it's God's will you're struggling with your life, you can't cope, give up. Because that's the way he wants you. That's what the devil's saying, isn't it? That's what he's saying to Israel. God sent me to do this to you. Oh, well, if it's God's will, just give up. Can you fight God, can you? How many times do we give in to that? How many times do we believe that? And we don't pray, we don't, we just go, well, predestined to be in this position. It's me. Well, it's a lie. And I'm going to cover this next week, hopefully. But Hezekiah was told by a prophet. Do you know what prophet? Who can tell me what prophet spoke to Hezekiah? Anybody, any Bible scholar that will to talk out in church and tell me? Was it just a lack of willingness to tell me? You can cheat? No, I'm not going to let you cheat. I'll tell you. Isaiah. Isaiah came to Hezekiah. Isaiah is quite a well-known prophet. He's not a minor prophet by any description of the word. And said, you're going to die. God's told me you're going to die. I'm here to tell you, pack your bags. Pack them up. Get ready to die. What did Hezekiah do? Better get my suitcase then. No cried out to God even if it was God's will that Israel was destroyed even if it was God's will that the Assyrian army was to ramp up and go there and attack them and defeat them it shouldn't stop you praying for help it shouldn't stop you crying out to God and saying God I see them my problems are overcoming me I need help even if it's you even if it's me Lord that's done something that's upset you that much that I'm way off you pray you don't give up. The whole thread of this is the devil just wanted them to, to go like that. Right, boys. The army's here. Open the gate. Let them in. We'll walk away. Have a, there you go, Assyrians. You have Jerusalem. Number ten. We're not too bad for time. Verse 28. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew. Clever boys, these Assyrians even knew the language. They can talk in all the Christian. The devil can use all the Christian terminology. He can talk to you like a Christian. Tell you things as a Christian in ways that you go, oh, that sounds very spiritual. That sounds right. Maybe I should be dead. <laughs> Maybe I should give up. Because you framed that nicely, scripturally. That sounds great. 
And he says to him, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't trust Hezekiah when he says that. He's undermining two things in there. He's undermining the leadership, the king. Don't trust your king. Don't trust your pastor. Don't trust the brethren. Don't trust the leaders of the church. Don't trust them. And he's undermining God's authority. Don't trust him when he says that God will deliver you. Don't trust. He's undermining the leadership of both political leadership, the king, and spiritual God. Do you know what? See these scriptures, these things he's telling you? Not right. Not right. Don't listen. Nah. If he says you're going to get better, don't listen. If he says things will be alright, don't listen. If he tries to encourage you, don't listen. No. If he says you'll feel better, don't listen. He doesn't know. How does he know your situation? How does he know what you're going through? How does he know? How can you trust him? He's never been through that. Giving you advice, talking to you, he's always clever. Don't listen. He doesn't really know. Don't listen to your king. Don't listen to your pastor. Don't listen to spiritual people. The Bible says in the multitude of counsel there is wisdom. So we should be talking to one another and asking. But he's trying to cut us off. Don't listen. Don't trust. Number 10. Number 11. This is one that, that really gets me. Verse 31. Do not listen to Hezekiah. We covered that. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Make peace with me. And come out to me. Come on, just come out. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own system until I come and take you to a land like your own. A land of grain and new wine. A land of bread and vineyards. A land of olive trees and honey. Choose life, not death. Wow. Come on. It's not all bad. Just come out. Honestly, I'm a really nice guy. I'm actually here from God. And do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you to the next step in your journey. Because God's finished with that. Your wee time in Jerusalem and Judah. That's all nice. We know that. We've got that. But I'm going to take you to somewhere. And look at the words. New wine. Holy Spirit. A land of bread. Provision. Vineyards. A land of olive trees, honey, milk and honey, what God said. I'll, take, I'll give you somewhere else to love. Don't worry about it. Do you know what? Your religion's dead the way it is. It's time to move on. Never mind with the old words and everything Hezekiah done. That was, that was then. We've got something new. God's doing something new. Now in my experience, right, and I hate to say this, but I will. Right? See when people say that to me, I just go, Oh, show me that in the Bible. Because my Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I read a Bible that's consistent. So when somebody tells me God's doing something new, and the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, I go, ooh, I wonder what this is going to be. How's this going to pan out? Yeah? And the, the crucial thing that the devil says, and this is important, right? Because you come across all sorts of stuff as Christians. These are all been about as long as me, probably. You've seen a lot. When we left the church in Glasgow years and years and years ago, and there was a few things. We ended up coming, starting to look for something else. And there was a kind of movement going on. And whether you agree with the movement or not, it's another thing. The Toronto Blessing, it was called. That's up to you. 
But somebody said something in the church in Motherwell. And they said this. See if you don't get caught up in this blessing. See if you don't take part. You're dead. Choose life and not death. If you don't take part in this amazing work of God. This new thing. You're left out. You'll be dead. The devil's clever. He's going to take something away from you. He's going to give you something else. You think of all the work Hezekiah done to sort that place out. And here's the devil coming up going, oh, well done Hezekiah. We're finished with that. Something new. That's a wee aside. It's maybe not as close to you every day, but it's something to be very aware of. If the devil comes and says, or you hear somebody saying, well, God's doing something new, it's amazing. You go, is he now? That's what I do. You show me that in the world. Because my God doesn't change. So, we were in a place where we had a prophet, and the belief was that the prophet had special revelation, and there's still prophets people about. They've got special revelation. Progressive revelation, extra revelation. What they said was equal to the Bible, and they explained it in a way we'd never heard. Be careful. Be careful. Number 12, we're nearly done. So, and this is verse 32. And he says again, do not listen to Hezekiah for he's ministering, sorry, for he's misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamathand and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvavan, Hena, Luva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save this land from me how then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand you notice the devil's clever one minute he's in God's side and the next minute he's telling you God's rubbish and he's <laughs> you're finished one minute he's there in the name of God I've come, I've come from God and we're just sorting things out here really just fixing it and then the next minute look your God's can't, no God can help you no God can help you and he'll show you examples. Remember that lassie that died? Mm. She had a disease, that's right. Remember that guy that lost his job and he's still out of a job? Remember the kids that are these problems that haven't been solved? Do you remember all of them? All these things that, yeah, and the devil will bring it back to you. God, can he help you? He'll show you a whole pile of negative examples. Look at, look at, look at what we've done here, look at what's happened. And bring you down. So that's his tactics. You probably could read it through again and just maybe get it inside because it is quite complicated. There's a lot going on in that one wee chapter. A lot of things the devil used against Jerusalem, which he still uses against us. I'll summarise it. The first thing is he comes with a real danger. So he does come with your real problems. And sometimes he can set off problems in your mind just that they don't even exist, that aren't actually there, there's nothing there, but he can use it. He preaches to you, he brings his story. So he'll tell you what he wants you to believe and not what God wants you to believe. He turns up in spirit, he likes to come along to the party, either personally or one of his friends, to make sure you feel the way your, your mind's thinking. That if your mind's upset, you feel down, you feel bad. He attacks your confidence and your faith. He attacks your confession. He undermines your plans. Don't think your plans are going to work. Pfft, wasting your time. He tells you you should worship 
your own way. Just, just why, why did you leave the old way? Why, why did you try and get closer to God by doing all this stuff? Well, waste of time. Look what's happened. You know, why are you coming to church? Why did you get baptised? Look, people, all oh, this terrible stuff's happened since you became a Christian. What, what, what are you doing that for? Tells you you're useless. Even if I gave you 2,000 horses, you're still useless. You're rubbish. You can't do it. Tells you it's God's will that he's carrying out. I'm here to do God's will and destroy you and take you away. Undermines your faith in the leadership. That's very dangerous in the church. Very dangerous. It starts you wondering what the pastor's doing and is he really for us and has he really got the right heart. And as soon as you start going down that road, the church split. He tell you a new thing's happening. Do you know you've had a great wee time at that church? Up there, Tony. But I've got something new. Let's go there. Let's do something different now. You've had a great time believing the Bible the way it is, Tony. But I've got something better now. I've got this great new revelation. You want to follow that? That'll take you closer to God. No. It doesn't take a lot to get close to God. Well, a man this morning told us what it was. Prayer. <laughs> Isn't it a brilliant, special new revelation? There's five steps to closeness to God. So one step. You can do it on your knees. That's it. Don't need a new revelation. We don't need anything new. Don't need something different. And finally, he tells you that God can't help you. Because he's never helped anybody else. And nobody can get any help. So, tactics of the enemy. Next week will be more cheery. <laughs> Next week we'll find out how to overcome the enemy. But this week I do genuinely want you all to suffer in a horrible week. And uh, really get upset, and then next week, at least when I come, you'll go, Oh, thank God he told us how to fix it. God bless you, saints. Let's just pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for your work, Lord, and for your word. We thank you, Father, that you show us how the enemy works in our minds and in our lives, Lord. And Father, you reveal the words and the tactics of them. Lord, I pray that these things would help us, Father. It's, it's interesting, Lord, and important to know why our minds work the way we work Lord and why we think the way we think and the many negative things the enemy brings in but Lord it's more important to know how to overcome them and we pray Father God that we'll be able to express that as well in Jesus name Amen